0: How's it going, everyone? Steve here with The Wokaholics. Let's chat a little bit. Um, as usual, unscripted, off the cuff, unprepared, just ready to roll. Um the big one up front, um, and what's kind of driven kind of the uh the spirit behind this episode is obviously the Hamas attacks on the Israelis and the Israeli people. Um, you know, I I haven't spoken much about Israel on this this podcast save for in passing once or twice, maybe, um, that I could remember. Um, But, you know, I've never been secretive about one of my kind of positions when it comes to the state of Israel, given what my profession is. Um, Usually that comes across like in a two-sided way. The one side I usually say and I line up like, you know, I'm not like some blind supporter of Israel. Um, I respect the shit out of the country. I think it's a great place, Um, a a jewel in that area of the world in the Middle East. Um, The lone kind of hope for democracy in the area. Um, Its people are great, Um, beautiful country. Um, But I don't just blindly cheerlead it. Um, That doesn't mean I don't believe in the way it's defended itself. I actually believe that Israel's shown much restraint. But as an intelligence professional, which is my main job when I'm not being an asshole on Twitter or recording this podcast three times a year, um, I look at Israel from an intelligence professional standpoint. And from that perspective, yes, while they are somewhat of a partner, they aren't a second party partner, uh, one of the Five Eyes. But um, you know, we do work with them. Um, they also, in turn, target us and I don't when I say target us I don't mean they do that with hostility but they allies spy on each other that's the way it is right and we've seen that come uh, come out in the news here and there over the last decade or two right and it's it's not about undercutting or or pretending to be someone's friend it's that countries have interests they want to protect them and the motivations behind those interests or what drives them towards their goals is sometimes not something they want to share even with allies, right? So I, it's not that I'm hostile against them. I just understand that the Israelis sometimes target us um, in in a way that's not what I would call friendly, even though we are friendly, if you could understand my perspective. That being said, none of that part of my perspective on Israel matters when it comes to what Hamas did. Um, I'm of the opinion that that situation is beyond the point where it deserves or where there the, the desire to preserve as many lives or the desire to bring about peace and ceasefires. Like, I, I've, I'm beyond the point where that is something that can salvage the situation. I mean, if that is not going to stave off future death, and killing, then it's not necessarily a noble goal. In the near term, in the short term, it might sound like it is the noble way, the noble path, but that's not always the case. Um, And in the short term, if more folks um, in Gaza lose their life, but while at the same time undercutting and destroying Hamas, that's going to lead to less violence in the future. Um, the argument can be made from the perspective of a devil's advocate that perhaps that would inflame more hostilities in the area. And in a way, yeah. But the truth is, none of those countries probably, like, they none of them should fuck with Israel. They really shouldn't. Um, but, you know, overall, I think Israel's going to handle itself just fine. I think they're going to get their, their justice for the lives that were lost and taken from, from them by the terrorists that flew over and came over the border. The scenes were disgusting. It is just, you know, the the highest levels of depravity. There is not a single thing the Israelis couldn't do. There is not a single place where their bombs could land that would come close to touching what was Hamas's deliberate targeting of men, women, children of all ages, completely unarmed, non-hostile participants in any of this. The reality is that Hamas hides behind human shields because they understand that 90% of this is in public perception that that is their only hope for survival and persistence. Sure, they get their money from financiers like Iran, but what they really rely on where they win or at least where they can turn some battles into stalemates and let the you know, let this persist is in the public in the news in the schools and observing that for the last week or two that has been why i was like you know what here we go it's time to talk a little bit about the perception we have about our academic institutions our politicians and what is really happening um, my criticism of them, of people in schools, of, of teachers, of students, like in this day and age, and in higher education, even in the public schools and, and not so high education, um, of politicians, you know, that that's never really changed. The, 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 my criticisms and gripes of them will always be pretty consistent. I think they're a bunch of pricks. But, um, you know, what I wanted to speak to more so was how, in the same light, how leftists constantly just twist and meld and change their positions and perspectives on things and they switch up their lies and the the keen and cunning ways in which they abuse and use words. Conservatives need to understand that they need to message better and present and project themselves into different light, especially in the light of devastating events where the other side is clearly showing themselves for who they are. Right, <clears throat> when it comes to Democrats in Israel, I know there's plenty who profess support and admiration. You know Joe Biden's not the only one um there's plenty, but the reality is is that they come to their defense in times like these, and they show and pretend to have support in times like these when back home, you know there's still a solid amount of leftist Jews supporting Democrats and when, you know, what they're trying to, you know, when the subject matter is truly just indefensible from the other side, in that case, that other side being Hamas. That being said, we know we have, we have politicians that have just been reelected over the last two or three cycles or elected over the last two or three cycles who are blatantly and overtly anti-Semites. Um, and not even in just like uh you know, kind of like a harmless way where like, you know, kind of consider like maybe they've had some situations in their in their upbringing that might have led them to have this skewed approach. But no, they, they consider themselves or they consider the Israelis, they consider the state of Israel to be illegitimate. They were elected for that position. They weren't elected in spite of it. Think about the people that they are presiding over in Congress or in Senate or wherever they come from. They were elected with these positions being no. Right. We have people here in the states who openly support Hamas not just uninformed, stupid young kids in college, but adults. Folks who know better and should know that the, the notion that this land was stolen from the Palestinians, that it's some holy spot for them, that it's like this long-standing place that the Israelis came in and just molested, right? that's all a lie. It's similar to you know and, and this is just a coincidence but you know we just we just celebrated Columbus Day not long ago. It's similar to when around this time of year people like to talk about how land here in the states was stolen from the indigenous and it's funny because the indigenous weren't indigenous they stole the land from others and the land here was mostly uncivilized, mostly unsettled and the tribes that were here of that were probably like a hundred or so of them. It was massive. There was a massive amount of tribes here and natives here. Um, of those, almost all of them were at war with each other, raping each other, pillaging each other, uh, kidnapping, enslaving people. What was taken here was not kosher. What was taken in Israel When Israel was settled, was mostly marshland, swampland, pretty shitty areas, and they turned it into something livable. They also bought it. (laughs) That's the other part of this. Like there was an exchange here, and like there's a whole, there's many layers to this situation. But what it isn't, what 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 did not happen was the Israelis did not steal land. But the echo chamber doesn't care. The echo chamber is about what comes out the other side. It's not what happened before. It's not what preceded. It's not about the precedent. It's not about the truth. It's about what the message can be turned into like a game of telephone. <clears throat> all of this got me thinking about, especially now with like all this crap happening in Congress with the questions of who's going to be the speaker and the way Matt Gates went ahead with this stuff. Speaking of, you know, I I didn't agree, disagree with a lot of what Matt Gates said was his motivations for this. But now on the other side of it, you see how messy it is and you think, you know, maybe was this worth it? But I don't consider people like Matt Gates or the folks who voted McCarthy out to be treasonous or anti-democratic. In fact, I consider them to be the opposite of that. They utilized an instrument built into our democracy, a phrase I kind of hate, but I mean, I guess it kind of flowed there, our democracy. They utilized it and they backed up their, their actions with words. I mean, I haven't seen many good explanations of why Matt Gates is in the wrong, why the rest of those folks who voted against McCarthy and voted for vacating his speakership. I haven't seen many people explain why it was bad. It's true. You could say that after the fact, like the reactions have been poor and like the Republicans haven't proven they could get together to, to elect a new speaker. That's all well and good, but that wasn't known beforehand. And it's also not a reason as to why Matt Gates would be supposedly wrong. You could regret something in the end, after you've seen the results, but the motivation and the actions that preceded it could have been righteous. They could have been true. But anyway, in spite of that, in spite of the circus that Congress is right now, I was thinking about how uh, Congress, how conservatives are pros at misrepresenting themselves. They don't defend themselves. They don't clap back, you know, And and I'm not even talking about how I do it in places like Twitter where I'm basically a facetious asshole 90% of the time, but I'm talking about just in regular places where you'd be interacting with folks you disagree with or in public or on TV where like, you know, the discussion is, the, the debate is, you know, calm and collected and it's, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it aligns with civility and all this other crap that we pretend that we have as a people. Um, you know, and I was thinking back to like maybe seven or eight years ago, and I remember Um, and I haven't really listened to him lately. I don't find his podcast to be particularly, uh, you know, it hasn't grabbed me yet, even though I like him quite a bit, but Dr. Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson, when he got, when he got famous, like the thing that made him famous, he went on this British, uh, this British show about how, and if, if, for those of you who don't recall, he became like a the spotlight came onto Jordan Peterson when his government started threatening him, and he was a professor in a college in Toronto University. And the government was threatening him with actions for not, you know, um, accepting the compelled speech mandates that mandated you had to use pronouns or whatever it was, whatever the exact thing triggered that. And so he goes a little viral, and he goes on like these uh, speaking tours and, and and gives a lot of interviews, and he's talking to this one woman. I don't recall her name, but it was over in England, and it created a couple memes in response. But one of her lines was, "You know, do you want people to be like lobsters?" and 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 the reason why she asked is because she was like basically saying that Jordan Peterson was prescribing a way that people should be. Jordan's um, part of Jordan's shtick has always kind of been like there are men and women, and he doesn't make that argument to be. You know, just uh, standoffish or or whatever. But he he makes the argument to say there are certain things that just are right. There are men that do certain things or tend to do certain things. There are women; they tend to do certain things and act in a certain way, or whatever. And those translates to those translate to different layers of society, right? Like not family interactions social interactions onto employment decisions and career decisions into choices in what you study that there are measurable ways to show that there are differences between men and women and the person who was interviewing him just every single time she kind of chirped back at him about something with kind of like a gotcha it was just a miss a complete and total miss And while that one line about her asking if she wanted everyone to just be a lobster, in other words, like a brainless, like kind of do nothing species, um, you know, that wasn't the funniest part to me. The funniest part to me was that the interview in its entirety was a tacit admission on her part that she was not there to interview. She was there to hold a line a position on behalf of her news network. It made almost no difference what Jordan said because from the very beginning when she started to like question him and try to like aha him, he was saying, no, I'm not telling you what you should be. I'm not telling you what a man should do, what a woman should do. I'm not prescribing a behavior or a path or giving even giving a suggestion. I'm explaining the way things are. They're just the way they are. And so I was thinking, like, you know, as a conservative, like, what are some of the things that are most often said to me as, like, a a critique of my perspective or what people presume is my perspective? And there are ways in which I deviate from, like, a standard conservatism um, and meander a little more towards, like, libertarianism without so much of the anger and, like, the, you know, the, I don't know, just the overall angst, right? Even though... I kind of show a little more of that on social media and stuff. Um, you know, what is it that makes people criticize conservatives the most? And generally speaking, you know, just from my perspective, maybe yours is the same. Um, people tend to say that we are pushing our beliefs on people. Um, that's one. A 1A would be like pushing our religious beliefs on people because it's just presumed that our positions are built on and rest on religious beliefs which we know isn't true there's atheist conservatives i was not always a religious person at all and my my religious beliefs didn't change my political ones at all if anything they just reaffirmed them and said there's more to it than just what we believe in here on on this earth and what makes us or what drives our wants right as people as greedy people um that's like kind of the first thing which is that we are Trying to impress ourselves on people, um, and two is that we are afraid of change, or that we don't want—you know—we do want to stick to tradition, and we want to change it, um, or we don't want to change it. Like that's like the letdown. And I thought about that and how infantile, and you know, just how overall, like it just kind of lacks a maturity to that that number two part, you know, because what is it about tradition that makes it inherently wrong? I, I don't understand, right? Something being a tradition doesn't make it wrong. And I think what conservatives need to start saying is, you know, yeah, even if it's true that there are traditions that you want to uphold, it's not for the sake of tradition. It's because you believe they're right. You believe whatever that tradition hold or whatever that deeply held belief is to be true, you believe that it is the right thing to do. And that the alternative, what we see professed as, like, the positive in the modern world, or, like, what the thing to be celebrated, like, much of that is not so positive. And, you know, be confident in that assessment. Too often, we find ourselves on our back, on our, like, as conservatives, we find ourselves on the back heel trying to explain away that we're not, like, just some, like, old octogenarian hidden away in, like, a 30 or 40-year-old person's body. But it's time. And I think, you know, in some ways, there are some trends that indicate this is a lot of this is coming back. Things like rad trad wives being like a thing lately on on social media and stuff like that. I think people are recognizing that when you pretend that every single thing has value, and that the only measure of something's goodness is whether or not someone wants it or likes it or makes it feel good. I think what you come to understand is that there's really nothing to look forward to. There's nothing to uphold and revere. There's nothing to put on a pedestal. There's nothing to look forward to. It's all kind of equally worthless. And I think slowly we're going to see people start to creep back, not necessarily towards the right politically, but they're going to creep back towards tradition. And it's not because they yearn for something old. It's not because they are like they are against change of any, you know, in any way um it's because they see that there are things that have worked there are things that have worked for people in society for millennia and as we flounder in other ways right in our ability to pay and raise child pay for and raise children and like to send them to college and to save money and to have a rainy day fund you know as it gets harder to live and persist in the world you're going to say yourself someday, how was it that it doesn't seem like it was that hard for people back then? And it's not all about the value of the dollar. It's not all about the housing market. It's not all about the cost of things. It's about a lot more. It has to be because the world is too intricate for things to just be completely driven by the power of the dollar or the lack of power of the dollar or the ebbs and flows of a market. It's true. Those have impact. They're major things that we need to study and we need to go prepare, prepare for, right. And plan around. But I think, and I trust that people are going to see that this new age of fatherless children of um, premarital and extramarital sex and um, drugs, um, everything, you know, basically anything that you can flip open, like a sociology book in a college today and see praised all of those things are going to be seen as, at the very best, like a complete nothing. Maybe it doesn't hurt necessarily, but a lot of it is going to be seen as empty and useless and fruitless. A couple weeks ago, I forgot who I, I forgot what the topic was, but I was talking to my wife, and um, like the subject of like marriage and love came up, and. I mean, I'll be open and honest, like I have some people in my family who haven't gotten married when they should have, and so I don't come from like a lineage of saints, neither does my wife, and so we talk about these things pretty, pretty openly, um, and our opinions about them, and, you know, I said, basically, what my position is, is that if you strip away want, and you strip away urges, and desires, and you strip away people's need to feel good or want to feel good, um, what you come, uh, you sh- basically if you strip away all emotion, what human beings are built for is to create new human beings. And, you know, it, it sounds to me or it might sound to one of you that I'm just professing like that it's our duty to go out there and have 10, 12 kids like they did back in the day. Um, my wife's grandmother, I think is one of 12 kids, 11 kids. Um, and I'm not, you know, part of growing up and being mature is understanding that, you know, you need to plan for and prepare yourself to take care of what you create. Um, and it's hard. It's very hard. And sometimes that answer is to not create it. It, Either you're not ready to do it or you're not the type of person. It's true that not everyone is built to be a parent, but if you take away everything, At our basic, most basic level, our species was built to create more of our own. So today that might be considered like an old school belief, right? We have so much where people are going on to things like TikTok and talking about how great it is being single and alone because it's their choice and they get to do all these things. And really all they're saying in all those words, and it's always so cringy, but all they're really saying is. Me, 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 me. -me. That's it. And, you know, it kind of came to me, thinking about it more, shrouded behind the facade of like the community and like looking out for your fellow man and picking up the downtrodden and letting people across the border, right, as a more modern example. Everything about Leftist political philosophy and basically like perspective on how to, the philosophy of man, let's say, right? The modern man. Um, It comes down to what someone wants, right? It's not really a question of is something right or wrong? Is it a good long-term plan by say, um, by something that feels good in the short term? It's all about themselves the talk about groups and community in spite of them mostly being communists and assholes, right? Um, You know, that's just the bluster on the outside to hide their never ending selfishness. It's never about anything but themselves. It's never about anything but protecting themselves or like a group they consider themselves either directly or indirectly connected with and sure that's a group right and they could pretend like they care about each other or they want but really it's just about whatever protection they can foist upon themselves as being a part of the group and that group is usually a fake oppressed group of some sort right it's never like something that no one really gives a shit about right um, or, or something that people know is not like a, a group that's been marginalized or has gotten the short end of the stick on something so the whole group thing that liberals espouse, the whole, like, do it for the greater good. The greater good, to me, anyway, defies what it is, you know, what I see as the nature of man. And as much as that might seem traditionalist or religious-based, it's really not. You know, the funny thing about religion, in my world anyway, is that, and, I, and I've been pretty blunt about this and my descriptions in, in, in the past, but you know, I didn't start my life in a religious type of way of thinking. In fact, my first real exposure to it when I went to high school, I arrived there pretty agnostic and still pretty angry about my father dying like uh let me think, six, seven, like nine years prior to that when I was six. So I arrived high school not really giving a shit about the religion I was about to be taught, which wasn't much, by the way. It was like an hour a day. Um, And it was really about world religions and philosophy more than it was about Catholicism. But, um, you know, it's not here nor there. Either way, what I thought I was getting into in high school from a religious education experience and perspective did not occur. That being said, (laughs) what it did teach me And what really opened my heart to it, because by the time I left high school, even without actually going to church much, aside from when I was told to, um, you know, it's not like a priest took me by the hand and like changed my my mind and like rewired my brain. None of that happened, not even once. Um, There was no conversion, right? It was more so me understanding that from the way I saw the world and the way I viewed things and perceived things, I was already a Catholic, right? I I didn't have to become a Catholic. I just always was. I just never saw it in my heart, like as a way of, I couldn't accept it in my own heart, right? I still wanted to be that belligerent little kid who was pissed about his dad going away, about his dad being taken from him when he was too young, and thinking that that was a problem with God when it really wasn't. When you think about what God is, what is God, right? You think something prescribed in the Bible or whatever other holy book we're talking about, someone who makes the rules. But I think of it more in terms of this vast force that created this from nothing, right? And when I say that, you know, I don't say that as as something that God, the concept of God is something that contradicts science or doesn't align with it. I am speaking about a God in the sense of something that runs parallel to it, right? Because what do we know from what we know of physics and matter and, and creation? We know that for something to be created, there needs to be a force that compels it, that moves it. For something to go moving through, the, through space, something had to come for it. Something had to push it out of its way. So if we were to come, like, so if this universe came out of nothing, right? If that's the answer, like the big bang, we came from nothing, I would say, in my scientific, with my scientific hat on, how? How did we come to be if nothing preceded it, if nothing pushed it over that like edge of existence? And that's where I kind of see where God comes into, into play. The overwhelming infinity of God is what grounded me and what made me understand that I am a small speck in that the wants and desire, I mean, I still follow them. I'm still a fallible person, right? I'm still just a man who makes mistakes, who sins. I'm not a perfect person. But where religion kind of fits for me and how it aligns with my political sp- perspectives is not, oh, my religion says this, and because my religion says it, this is what I'll think. and I'll, This is what I'll translate into my my politics. The way I see it is, is that my politics, my, my perspectives have not changed. They were the same before I started thinking about any of this, about any of this, you know, X, uh, you know, the, outside of the the, the ideas and the, the understandings of what we know as, as the universe. The the ideas have always been the same. And the God part just kind of fit over it like, um, you know, like a glove, right? And that made me think to myself, maybe, and I don't claim to be right about everything, but maybe there are positions that we have taken as people, as voters, as a country over time that should not be changed. And pretending that they should or that they have to because of the prevailing wheels of the prevailing winds, excuse me, of whatever social movement or political movement has come about, the notion that they should change because of that kind of defeats the it's, it's dishonest, right? It's almost like you're forcing a lie. And I say this as someone who's not old-fashioned when it comes to technology and clothes. I love new things. I love the way things are develop over time and change and get better. I like competition. I'm a capitalist. I'm into technology and stuff. I work in cybersecurity type of, type of work. I mean, I like this kind of shit. I'm not wedded to the past for the sake of it being the past. But where something works and where something is right, I think it deserves protection. Part of, uh, you know, I, I can't do an episode without talking a little bit about my favorite topic, which is the trans Tifa craze. But part of the defense of, of the trans lobby that I see, it, 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 it's, you know, there's multiple ways in which people defend this nonsense. But sometimes you'll get the argument of like, we're just against them. Them being trans people, which is also a dishonest position, but you know, more later, um, that we're just against them because we're afraid of seeing something change, and that being the concept of gender, right? And I mean, I wouldn't call it being afraid, but I would say, no, I don't want the concept of gender to change. And in response, you know, the haters would say something like, "Would well, see, you know, because you're a conservative, you're you're afraid of it. You can't, you can't bear to see someone be happy and change and things, things about. You. And no, it's not the case. It's that there are men and women. It's just a truth. It's just the way things are and always have been. And the notion that that can be changed, it doesn't register with me. You know, it just can't. And the one thing that a hater can tell you. In those moments is that you're the wrong one. They couldn't tell you with a straight face. They couldn't come to me and say, Steve, you said there's only men and women. That's wrong. They know they can't. Because I'm right. <laughs> you know, that's it's not a it's not really an objective argument. I, I mean, it's not really a subjective argument. It's an it's an objective answer. Are there more than two genders? No. <laughs> Just are is there anything besides men and women? And can you change them? No. And, it, you know, I didn't pick this fight. We didn't pick this fight. So I, I, I do, you know, I'm getting off the track like I usually do. But let's bring it back and wrap this up because I'm, I'm at 30 minutes. I guess what I'm trying to say here is think about why your perspective is the way it is. Think about why your opinion is the way it is. When you're getting hit nonstop from your friends, like from anybody you debate with to people you interact with on social media, think about the millions of impressions you make on people throughout the course of a year. And when you get involved in back and forth, like let's say you get into a conversation where your whatever you said just happens to be picked up by a lot of people and you're dealing with a lot of replies. And before you know it, you've spent all night on Twitter. Um, Think about how many people interact with you over the course of those of that time. When you inevitably get told that you're just some old school conservative who's afraid of change, and then you get that inevitable also parallel to like how, oh, you must want slavery because you don't want to change from the past, all the ridiculous kind of allusions to the past of things that needed changing, obviously, right? Things that liberals created, by the way, like slavery. Um, You know, think about what drove your opinion better yet think about like when did you start to have that type of perspective on things right for example i can't think of any point in my life where i was like yeah abortion that sounds like the right thing for people you know that sounds like the right decision for some if they cho- if they so choose which would which would be the pro choice argument right I never felt that in my most angry anti-God stages of my life, like between ages seven and 14, when I was still reeling with the fact that I'm not going to have a dad. I never sat there and thought to myself, like, you know, screw God's creations. Kids don't deserve to be born. In fact, I thought the opposite. I thought like, life is so precious. Like, who are we as a human, like as a human race to say that the absolute most vulnerable of us, which you doesn't get more vulnerable than the unborn, right? If you can't defend that, right? How dare you claim you want to defend anything else that includes your family, your loved ones, right? I saw the promotion of abortion, which I'll say around that time of my life was kind of like the thing coming up through the ranks of like important conversations. You were seeing increases in feminism of the third wave of the most annoying kind. You were seeing increases um, in like questions about civil rights and gay marriage in like the early 2000s, starting in Massachusetts and then going from California to New York. Like these were questions that were being heavily debated on TV. Even up through, like, the Obama-McCain debates, like, both of those dudes, they, they took the perspective of being against gay marriage, <laughs> like, and that was only, like, how long ago, right? It, these questions and these discussions weren't happening that long ago. If they were relevant then as questions because people were trying to change the ways, like, they, they're not old-fashioned positions by default. You know, people clearly had positions that conflicted with each other and, you know, the cards fell as, as they may or as they did. But I don't think it's bad that roughly half the country has generally more traditional approaches to things. And I don't say that as like just a blanket like promotion of Republican ideals. I don't, I'm not saying I just, you know, bite the, the hook, line and sinker on every party line position. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that the argument that tradition cannot be good is a bad one. Or that tradition must be changed into new tradition is is like the way. I, I don't believe that. I don't think that follows or flows logically. I don't think it makes sense. And you could take the same kind of line of thinking here, like determining like where is the basis for this opinion and why is it why is it conflict with today's modern perspective. You could apply that to a number of different arguments we have today. And I, I have yet to find one where I've said to myself like you know. This position I had, it was clearly just wrong. and needed to be changed. Do you? I mean, maybe if you're a former segregationist, that would be one, right? But like, do you have an opinion from your past where like you're now ashamed of it? I mean, you probably don't. My point is, it's okay if you don't. You don't have to be ashamed of what built you. What built you was arguably a lot better than the way we're building our kids today. And I say that myself as a parent, like my mom is probably going to raise me better than I'll raise my kids. Right. And she did that alone. She did that with a husband who died at 45. For me, that's only six years from where I'm going to be, you know, right now, like from where I am right now, that kind of scares me. Right. I guess what I want to tell you is traditionalism, call it rad-trad if you want, it's not very radical. Tradition became tradition because it worked over time in a lot of good ways for a lot of different people to the point where others recognized and couldn't hide from its positive impact. They couldn't deny its effect. That should be cherished. There are little things that aren't so important that we can talk about where, you know, we need to apply more modern perspectives to things. You, of course, should always be looking to learn from mistakes. Tradition doesn't equal mistake. Tradition doesn't equal bad. So when someone calls you out for your alleged old school and old, like, perspective on things as a conservative... You say, you know, I actually see it in a completely different way and lay it out. Lay it out there why your position is not just you parroting a Bible or a or a something your someone told you to, to, to repeat at church. You're not just voting for the person that your pastor is voting for. You have ideals. And sure, our politicians aren't perfect, but even ones we support, no one you're never going to find someone you like 100%. I would argue that if you agree with the person you're voting for 100% of the time, you don't belong in a voting booth. It shows that you don't have the ability to think at all. Um, but take some pride in where your positions come from. Take some pride in what built you. Use that to reach other conservatives who buckle and just give up When the left tells them these, you know, assigns or prescribes for them these one-liners that paint you as someone not worthy of being at the table of conversation, someone who's not even putting thought into this at all, they'll do this while standing in front of Harvard saying that they're happy that Hamas attacked Jews and that they are the educated, mature position. They're the ones that are the thinkers. They're the philosophers, they're the artists, they're the mathematicians. The left is naturally petulant, the left is naturally selfish. Take advantage of those truths when you attack them. And as we approach election day now and coming up next year, attack them harder than you've ever attacked them before. Because if you've been paying attention, you'll notice that little by little, they're crumbling. All they have left is the Trump indictments and the various court cases against him. But aside from that, if you remove Trump from the equation, what do you have? A bunch of asshole commie leftists who, are, who need, because this will hurt them, they need to start rooting out the anti-Semites in their party, right? So that's what we're looking at. Selfish little prick bastards who pretend like they're all heal the the world, heal the world, kumbaya takes a village. They pretend that that's their position when their position is nothing but themselves. They are themselves, science. They are themselves, God, and they are the like the eternity that awaits us after. Nothing about life matters outside of what feels good between their ears and below their belts. That's it. That's who you're dealing with. Learn to to discuss these matters with them in a way that shows that you're not afraid to be different than them. You're not afraid to be more traditionalist than them and grounded in something that's a little bit bigger than any of us, to include our enemies, but most especially ourselves. Stay humble, keep talking, and I'll get you next time.